Hello, and welcome to the Clockwork Game Design Podcast. My name is Keith Bergun. Thanks for joining me today. Today I have um, an interview with a fellow indie game designer slash developer, uh, Kyle Costell. Uh, Kyle Cookstell. He is working on Cantata, which is a turn-based sort of squad com- like tactical game, but also sort of 4X. It's kind of its own original thing. It's got really cool art style. Um, his company is called After School Games. Uh, he's working on it basically all on his own, just like I am with Gem Wizards Tactics. He's very much a kindred spirit in this way, and so it was great to have someone on the show like that to talk to about this stuff. Um, so yeah, we're going to get right into it. Um, as always, you can support the show on Patreon. Uh, we just updated the Patreon tiers a little bit. Uh, so if you go to patreon.com slash Keith Bergun, um, you can read all about it. Gem Wizards Tactics, a new build is going out every other Friday. I'm thinking of increasing that to every Friday because the game is like, for the first time over the last couple of weeks, it has become fun, largely due to the help of Brain Good Games, Brett Lowy, who is rocking it both in the design department and in the programming department. He's really helping me out a lot. Um, so I guess actually I'm not working alone now, uh, but up until this point I was. Anyway, thank you so much for listening. Uh, the conversation today with Kyle goes really, really well. We talk a lot about um, what we like in strategy games, turn-based games, what we don't like, how how do you market these things, how do you produce these things, um, many different, uh, you know, Talk, we talk a little bit about publishers. We talk about all kinds of stuff that would be of interest to anyone, uh, both the theory stuff and some of the business sort of side stuff. Great conversation. Um, and so without any further ado, my conversation with Kyle Cookstell. I'd, I'd first like to start by just hearing a little bit about you and your background, like how you got into game development. Yeah. Um, you know, just ha- just what's your backstory? Where did, did you go to school? Did what, Do you have a, a background in another field, et cetera, et cetera? Yeah, so I, I mean, like I think a lot of people who are doing this you know, grew up playing games. Um, and I think when I was going to college, I was like, I'm going to be a game developer. Um, and so I went to Georgia Tech. And then I was a major in their computational media program. So that's, I wouldn't say it's like a famous program, but it was definitely one of the first sort of um, programs that got at this idea of the intersection of like media art and technology. Um, And people like, you know, Janet Murray, who wrote Hamlet on the Holodeck and like Ian Bogost are all there. Um, And they also have a really good digital media master's program, but I didn't, I didn't do that. But I basically went into tech being like, oh, well, I want to do video game design and programming and then ended up actually really falling in love with film. Mm-hmm. Um, so then after college, and I think the other part of it too was like at college, like seeing the types of people who wanted to work on video games, like I didn't identify with them. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe now I would more, but like I had other interests and stuff. And I think a lot of people who were there who wanted to do video games were just like laser focused on games for better mm-hmm. or for worse. Um, but, uh, actually one of the guys that was a mentor sort of to me at Georgia tech, this guy, Chris DeLeon, um, now runs, uh, game Kidu, which used to be hobby game dev. And so he's actually raised a lot of people that are sort of doing indie game stuff as well. But anyway, so after college, I actually got involved in the film industry in Atlanta and was like doing music videos and sort of promotional stuff. And then decided that I basically needed to move to New York if I wanted to become serious about it. 
because um, this, this was also like pre all the crazy tax breaks coming to Atlanta for production. Mm-hmm. Um, so I moved to New York and actually got a job as an intern at Killscreen, uh, RIP, mm-hmm. and was doing sort of like games writing and producing there for stuff. And then at the same time, got involved with um, like another production company and was, ended up directing and editing some shows for like PBS and MTV and all this stuff. All the while, like, you know, still really loving video games, still playing video games. And then right before I moved to New York, I was sort of tinkering on what initially became Cantata. Mm. And like, but I was like making it in like Game Maker or something. And then, but still kind of on the back burner. Um, then after that, I, uh, so the, at the same time, like VR was starting to happen. And I really liked the idea and kind of pitch of VR because it felt like this thing where I was like, oh, like I can finally you know, combine my love for video games and my love for film to like become this immersive media thing. Mm-hmm. And I found these guys that at the time were making this tool th- toolkit called the RGBD toolkit, which is a way to make a connect turn into essentially a video camera. And so I worked with them on some freelance stuff on the side and then ended up helping them co-found the company that initially became, uh, or eventually became called Scattered. Uh, and then I was there working on like volumetric filmmaking and VR production stuff for basically the past, it was almost four years. I ended up, um, I left there this past November of 2019. And then essentially since then I've been full-time developing Cantata. So I did like the immersive media VR thing, which is, it's a whole other story. Um, But then was still working on Cantata on the side and then kind of made the call uh, in part due to my, my wife really suggesting that I should do it, like just to go f- leave and try to finish Cantata. Mm. Um, it was like gaining steam in sort of other ways uh, that we can also talk about, but it was like, it felt like the right time. So since, since about January of this year, I've been full time on the game, but that doesn't mean I've only been working on it for, you know, eight months. I've been working on it more or less for the past like six to four to six years, depending on how you slice it. <laughs> right, right, right. I mean, that's that's how long these kinds of games take, you know? I mean, that's, yeah. that's absolutely, especially, and now are you working on it by yourself or do you have a, what's the size of your team or? Yeah, yeah, so I'm the lead designer and programmer. So I've done all the programming and I would say like 90% of the design. Um, everything that's not that is all contractors and friends. So Someone does the pixel art, uh, someone does the music, someone does the sound effects, someone does the character art. Um, all that stuff is contractors. And they're, I mean, I say contractors, but they're friends of mine who I was like, hey, can I pay you a little bit of money to sure. you know, work on this thing? Um, yeah. So yeah, I basically it's been, I've done all the stuff that I can sort of on my own. Um, and then for all the other stuff, I've been doing all the gaps with other people. Very cool. So, and so, yeah, I mean, Cantata. Let's give us this, the pitch about Cantata. Um, uh, if for people who don't know, what's the deal? What, why, what originally set you on the path of wanting to make this game? And like, what's the sort of elevator pitch of it? Yeah, so I'll start with the elevator pitch. So the elevator pitch is that uh, Cantata is a turn-based uh, tactical strategy game inspired by games like Advance Wars and SimCity, where you play as one of three factions and you try to. What do I say? It's it's um, expand. It's like it 
it's my own version of like forex it's like expand explore and endure an alien planet in like a spiritual sci-fi world so we're we're looking at sort of weirder sci-fi stuff like what jeff vandermeer like and like he does um applying sort of like weirder sci-fi frameworks to um strategy games uh that's like that's like the very general pitch um the more sort of like if you know strategy games pitch is that the idea is to take a lot of the immediacy of something like Advance Wars and apply it to like a larger strategic framework that you get from like a Forex game or like a grand strategy or Civ game without losing that, again, that immediacy of play. Um, and I think like the, the really initial idea back before I moved to New York was like, honestly, I was listening to a lot of uh, Three Moves Ahead, the strategy games podcast. Mm -hmm. And at the time they were talking about like space Forex games and I had been doing film for a while, but I was listening to, again, still loving strategy games and was like, oh, wait, I can make a game. Like, oh, I, I know what they're talking about and why it's bad. Like, maybe I can make something. So the idea was initially was like making an interesting um, sort of like tactical strategy game that didn't wasn't like literally going by the book to try to address the issues that Three Moves Ahead had, but just being like, well, I liked Advance Wars. Why has there not been a new Advance Wars? Um, and then also like I want to do a little bit more stuff. So thinking about supply and supply lines, which are really big mechanics in Cantata that we can talk about. Um, but basically saying like, well, how can I make like advanced advanced wars? Like what does advanced wars look like? But with, you know, 20 years of design history that's happened since then. Um, and then at the time I was also like the only uh, advanced wars ish game in town. Like when I again, like six years ago seems not a long time ago, but like back then there were no other games that were being developed that like looked sort of even like like remotely like they were kind of doing the advance wars thing. So like when Wargroove got announced, I was like, oh man, <laughs> they're gonna they're gonna steal my thunder. But I think what that actually ended up doing was that it sort of grew the pot and it also helped shine a light on what the advance wars community sort of actually wants, um, which my perception is not just another advance wars they sort of want more and so i'm happy that cantata can hopefully step in and fill that gap yeah i was um advance wars is a really interesting like uh just a uh, game in the history of games and the way that it sort of sits in the history of games in that like it was this extremely popular game and then they sort of just stopped making them in 2008 yeah. abruptly um, even though I thought, I thought that Days of Ruin was the best one, like of all of them. I, I thought it was really impressive, um, in a lot of ways. Um, but in any case, they, they just disappeared and stopped making them entirely. And then there was this huge hole where, you know, as you say, there was a good many years. Um, and then finally Wargroove, I guess, comes along and, and... I, I saw Wargroove as Wargroove is extremely conservative, like a very yeah like, yeah very yeah, conservative yeah 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 like like really we're just here to make another Advance Wars game like just just don't don't you know step on any toes or anything. Um, whereas I, I I see Cantata is actually very um, original. I, from from I haven't played it, but I've you know watched a bunch of gameplay videos and things like that, and um, I it doesn't seem remotely like a like a clone of anything like it seems very right. um very much its own animal which um which is really cool and i also i appreciate what you say about the immediacy sort of i think what you're talking about with that uh is 
how Advance Wars has this very like console game like uh, simple input mechanism, simple. Um, you know, it right. feels like it feels like a console game, even though it's coming from a tradition or a tradition of war games, which is you know this um, sometimes like war games, like if you think of something like Panzer General or something like that, yeah. or even modern war games like Paradox games, like they they feel very um, scary. They have these big scary UIs and all these sub menus and all this stuff. And Advance Wars is like. You click on a unit and you click to move the unit. End of story. And it moves That's it. and you, you see it move across the map and there's no <laughs> weird like arrow that fills in to add, like, yeah, the idea is to like, basically, I mean, even like, um, I don't want to get into this yet. We can talk about it a little bit later, but even like the mechanics of supply lines and Cantata, the idea that sort of uh, one of the big design ideas of Cantata is take a lot of the stuff that is typically abstract in sort of these strategy games and actually make it literal. So like, the buildings that produce stuff and like convert supply into other more advanced types of supply all happens like on the map. There's like right. a direct sort of mapping both like spatially, but also mentally between like, Oh, these things do these things. It's not like, you know, Oh, let me, let me consult my tech tree to see where I'm at in terms of my production cycle. It's like, Oh, like I can only build this unit if this building is on the ground. And that's sort of more of like a Starcrafty thing, but no one's really done that applied to, a larger like non real time um a non real time game this that I've seen yeah i i think one of the biggest like maybe crimes in the history of um video game design uh is this uh tendency that we have this sort of like spreadsheet uh tendency where we um instead of like we'll have this big grid you know uh, that uh, and and all this potential for like placing things on the grid but instead we put all these things in stats like actors yeah. are just these big packets they're these big like spreadsheet zip files basically of all these uh, all this information that's just integers and and you know uh floats and stuff that are uh just in inside of the one character and it's like put that stuff on the map. So like, if you want this character to be like tanky or something, instead of just giving them a lot of health, maybe they have like multiple, you know, uh, actors on the grid or like they take up multiple yeah. tiles and you have to hit all the tiles. Like there's so many ways to take things and put them on the grid. And I think that your supply line system is an example of that. And I, I, I think that's a fantastic idea. I, I would actually like to hear you talk more about the supply line system and how that works and what the philosophy is behind that. Yeah, yeah, totally. I think like, I mean, one thing it it's funny because I've seen like, it's funny sort of having made this game for a long time because I've seen other games sort of like step up and like take parts of the ideas that have been cut or are still moving forward. So like one of the initial ideas of Cantata was that basically it was going to be like a four player game where you it wasn't it wasn't like XCOM where there's like the strategy layer, but the idea was that you have one player who's actually playing on like a tactical grid map, but inside of a city. Um, and then another player is working at the macro level where they see the city represented as like a single tile. And so the idea is that the players were like, one player is like handling like political intrigue inside their environment. And then so the player that's like at the macro level is like, yo, I need some tanks. And so other person's like, well, I'm dealing with a like a revolution that's going on. Is there any way that like you can hire some allies at the macro level to support? So like that was sort of like, what well, that was one of the initial ideas and that uh -huh. was scrapped for a lot of reasons. But part of that thing that came through was this idea of like resource transfer between buildings. Uh -huh. um, and that sort of formed the groundwork of this 
this supply line concept in Cantata. And the best way to describe it is that um, in Cantata, you have, you start out with a fixed number of supply, like just generic supply. And then that supply is used in a few different ways. But one of the main ways is that things that you build on the map that I, my generic word for them is like interactables, but you could call them a building or a unit or whatever. Buildings, for example, have the ability to build um, a supply line and that supply line is able to give some number of supply of some type to another building. So the first building that you might have would have the ability to build like three supply lines and those supply lines are like um, metal or something. So once you connect that metal supply line to another building uh, on the map, that building that you connected to is now getting income um, or not necessarily income. It basically has access to whatever number of supply you're giving it from the building it's connected to. Then the way that you actually build stuff in Cantata is that there's this idea of supply projects and supply projects you can basically think of as like um, almost like blueprints kind of. So if I want to build like a drone unit, I click it and it gets added to my build queue and that drone requires some number of like metal. Right. So if I have a supply line connected to a building and it's giving, it has the ability to basically give one supply per turn to something that that building is working on and my drone requires three metal, it will now take three turns for that drone to be built. Gotcha. I can also upgrade the supply line and make it give more supply to what its destination and then things at its destination will build faster. Um, so it's kind of, again, it's this idea of like taking like a tech tree or something, but actually putting it on the map. So your buildings that produce supply and consuming supply are also like on the maps. So they can just be attacked like anything else. So all of a sudden, if you've got a small little supply chain going, like it's it's not like, oh, there's some, you know, area of supply that you've got to be in. Like, like, I mean, Unity Command is a great game, but their concept of supply lines is sort of this more abstract style where you've kind of got to be within the radius of something to get it. Whereas in Cantata is like, no, you're connected to something. And if that building gets taken down, your lines that are coming from that go away. Right. So all of a sudden you now have, you're incentivized to like protect your buildings. And so it leads to this like somewhat emergent gameplay around like, oh, well, do I want to up, upgrade this line? Because if I upgrade it, this thing will build faster, but it's also sort of near the front line. So I need to defend it, but I only got two units. But to build a unit, I need to spend more supply. So then like all these sort of like decisions start to fire off when you put that stuff on the map, sort of like you're suggesting. Mm -hmm. And so that becomes like the core of like, the like, kind of like the cantata gameplay loop is like putting buildings on the map, connecting supply lines, using that supply income to build units to then expand further, to then ideally push your production closer to the front lines and like, and so on and so forth. Yeah, um, that that's really cool. I, I also uh, found myself thinking about um, Civ and particularly Civ um, 5 and 6, uh, where Civ 5, um, you know, did the one unit per tile um, change, yeah. which was a really big change. But then 6 almost even more... Um, I, maybe meaningfully in terms of like uh, just thinking about game design theory is the idea of um, cities and districts 
Because what yeah. dis- districts do is a, a a small, small step in the direction of taking that huge list of, again, like a big packet, a zip file, a spreadsheet or whatever, of all the buildings that you have and actually like placing them somewhat a little bit more on the map. Um, and therefore, like you have a little bit more of like what you're talking about in Cantata, where yeah. um, things are actually, you know, sort of there. Uh, I also thought about your supply line thing and something that always struck me as a, even as a kid, like when I first time I played like Warcraft 2 or something, um, but in RTS games, um, how you have these um, workers, these SCVs that are like walking back and forth between the mine. And I always thought like that just feels like such like a kind of like a waste of a mechanism right like there's just so much more that could have been done with that like why is it that they just walk back and forth between these two spots the whole game like couldn't couldn't there be like they have to walk between three spots and like four spots and like maybe they can do all kinds of things and you know like sometimes in in work in later games like starcraft or i think warcraft 3 might have been the first one that let you like queue up a few buildings like okay build this and then build this and then build this and you know that that also started and then you know then go get lumber or something but it's like i don't know it just feels like um people aren't thinking along the lines of like you have a little system here with the with the with the SEV going to the mineral and then coming back to the command system uh, center. That's like a little system, and you could do things with that, and you can build on that. And um, I, I feel like a lot of times uh, that that you know people aren't thinking in that way about these things. Yeah, I mean, I'm just gonna clear my throat. <clears throat> like one thing that I've like really tried to do with Cantata is um, resist like more or less like any impulse to add a new system, um, which I think is definitely something that happens in strategy games a lot where like there's all these like disparate systems that like roughly combine together. But there's also, there's like, you can see places where there's like actual overlap of capabilities, but the systems themselves end up being separate because like, and they're developed on separate teams and they're like, oh wait, we're doing this thing and then you're doing that. And then, oh, I could. um, So what what I've tried to do in Cantata is basically like, use like just keep boiling just keep reducing and saying can i can i already achieve what i'm trying to do with what i've already basically got in hand Mm -hmm. um and something like uh i think like supply projects and kind of like building the flexibility of this game um is really like made it sort of i don't want to say easy because it was hard to do it but i i found ways to like Anytime I have a thing I'm, I want to try to do in the game, it's 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 been really the case now that I'm not able to basically solve it by having this like a. I think I read some article. I can't remember who whoever made um, I'm not fallen London the sequel Sunless Skies. They wrote this article in Gama Sutra about like levers of design, um, and with the idea is basically like what sort of affordances does your design have that are like knobs that you can tweak. Um, and I made a list recently of like all the affordances or the, um, levers of design that Cantata has. And there's like, there's like 15 different things and they're all sort of like small. It's like, Oh, like health amount, um, turns to build something, how many build slots something has, how big the build queue is, how, like how big its supply range is, like all these little things. And just with that, like when what seems like a system that, like if you just actually look at the systems themselves, it's like, oh, you can build units and there's supply lines. That doesn't sound like it can actually be creatively like productive, but when you actually list out like, oh, these are all the little things I can already do. It's like, oh, I can find out interesting ways to do these things. So like mm. a really good example, um, kind of kind of getting to like your SCV thing a little bit, like 
we have a so cantata like advanced wars has commanding officers they're these like big strong characters that are like representative of the story we're trying to tell and um one of the characters we have this idea that um they are able to make prophecies uh, as sort of like an action and so there's a version that kind of you're alluding to right where we say okay well let's build a prophecy system it's like let's let's put mm. into the game some way to like make prophecies but then I'm looking at the system and I'm looking at all these levers and I'm like, you know what, actually, like, what if it, it requires a little bit of like, you know, suspension of disbelief by the player, but it's like, okay, well, what if we give the characters right now just called the rebel prophet? What if we give the rebel prophet something that they can build that gets added to their build queue that's called a prophecy? And what if the prophecy, we change the icon so it looks like, you know, a scroll or something, mm-hmm. but it takes like, some number of turns to complete instead of supply. So it's almost like they're, you know, casting their prophecy. And then when the prophecy is done, um, what, what the completion of the supply project does is that it adds an objective that when you complete it, you get some experience as a CEO. And it's like, oh, like, that sounds like a prophecy. Like what they, they, they do an action, it produces an objective and like um, the player gets some XP. And so there's a lot of other versions of that in the game where we're like, well, how do we do like, we have these like really interesting narrative ideas, but instead of trying to just solve it with systems, it's like, let's just solve it with the stuff we've got now and only really expand if it feels like the system can't go there. So like you look at something like, you know, like SCVs or whatever, and it's like, why, like, was there no part of the game that said that we don't need workers? Like why, why can't they just ambiently collect? Like, I think you sort of see this a little bit with like how Starcraft 2 started to change it where they would auto assign SCVs to like minerals at the start of the game versus forcing mm-hmm. you to select them and do them. Yeah. Or it's the difference between like Hearthstone and magic, right? Where it's like, well, you know, having to counter, having to factor in mana is difficult. We already have this system. Why not just like reduce that and say like, we just get one mana every turn with the system that we've already got. Um, that, I mean, the other side of that, right. Is that, you know, magic gets a lot of flexibility by having, the need for lands to be the sort of lever of design. And that can be sort of a pivot point of characters or whatever. And Hearthstone has that obviously to a little bit of a degree, but I think it's just one of these things like you're talking about where it's like, especially as an indie developer, that's making a strategy game, like the cost to produce a new system is really high. So I'm more inclined to produce some slightly more abstract rule set um, and like game system that I can, uh, apply flavor to and also like as an efficiency achieve design goals without just having to make something new to like solve that yeah i i there's a little bit of a distinction i would make just between um you know simple right like so so there's 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 a design goal of like let's keep it simple and sort of like make sure that like we're just being sort of efficient i guess with the systems that we have and whatever um and not building extra things because it you know it takes too much time to make the things or because it's too hard for players to learn, et cetera, et cetera. But actually that's not my main objection to these like systems, these little add-on systems. Like in Civ, Civ is a great example. They just like add these like, oh, there's like this other screen now where it's like civics and you like pick on, click these different things. And, you know, and, and even tech tree, honestly, like all those like extra screens, my objection to them is not so much that they're, uh, that they're too complicated or anything, because actually I, I think strategy games have to be pretty complicated to, to really function. Oh yeah. 
So, totally. so it's it's not an issue of complexity for me. It's an issue of uh, sort of like um, coupling and like lacking coupling with the rest of the system. So it's like uh, it's it's not um, it's like it's kind of like you have like two games and like one one or two integers passes between these two games, but there's very little actual like connection between them. And so what happens is. Um, you know, one of the games is the one that, that matters. So like in Civ, for example, the, the game is, you know, I don't know, like, you know, the meeting some victory condition in the, in right. the proper game. And then there's this, 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 uh, other screen that's like, I don't know, the diplomacy system or the, or the, whatever, uh, the tech tree, or, there's so many of them. And that is like its own little game that, that basically gets very quickly solved um, you know what I mean? Like, because it's not operating on its own. It's not like sort of balanced on its own. It's just, it just needs to produce some output for the real game. Uh, and so you find, you pretty quickly find, uh, those like not very tightly coupled extra systems, those extra screens. I mean, I, I tend to think of them as screens. I, I, I yeah. tend to think that like one way, uh, uh, it's not like really a good way of putting it, but like a nice, simple, uh, guideline for design is like you shouldn't have two screens in your game. Your game should basically <laughs> have one screen. Um, it's not exactly correct, but it gets the right spirit across of like, you know, there shouldn't be this other system because that other system is just going to get like solved or that other system is going to like trample your your main system. Uh, there, there's because of the low amount of coupling, it's impossible to like really balance those things. Uh, and I, I think, think we see that over and over again. An issue too that I have with those systems and like, I mean, I, I love the idea of paradox games and I have like, I play like a bit of Imperator and I've played like a bit of Stellaris, but one thing that's really hard for me that I'm definitely sort of solving for in Cantata is that like paradox games and like other like big strategy games, the like grand strategy type stuff or kind of Civ like a little bit to a lesser degree, they have like um, almost what you would call like a, like a butterfly effect issues where like, there's like some slider for like the Senate and Imperator Rome. And like, if you put it at five, something is good. Something really bad's going to happen. And if you put it at four, it's like totally fine. And you've got the slider that can go from like zero to 20. There's no like direct mapping of like how that action is going to influence your sort of like ultimate aims for the game. Like maybe you can have a sense of how the game works, but one thing that's always sort of surprised me was talking to people who like play paradox games is that they're sort of comfortable with this. It's almost like they're like poking the simulation versus this idea of having sort of like mastery over all of its elements or even how it works together. And I think like there's, there's like, there's some beauty in that. Like, I think that's great, but for Cantato specifically, it's like, Oh no, I want you to know what all your actions do. Like everything right. that you do should have a pretty tangible effect on like the game state, like, you know, you add a thing to the queue and this thing's got a thing in its queue. You cancel it. It's gone. Right. If you attack that unit, its health goes down. If you move on the map, your units moved on the map. Um, and so I think like even recently I did a really big pass at um, sort of uh, cleaning up a lot of stuff and sort of reducing some systems down and while still maintain their complexity and making them easier to approach. And part of the th thing that I did was I was like, I, I'll make try to make it a short story, but basically I, supply used to fall off at a distance. So like the further away something was, um, the less supply it got at that destination. And that ended up not working for a lot of different reasons. Um, but another issue for it was that like, what that meant was that things would give 
things would have the potential to give like 30 supply. So I'd connect that supply line to a tile that's like 10 or 15 tiles away. And then that building now, because of supply fall off, has the ability to potentially use like 17 supply. Hmm. So then like as a player, you have to decide like you essentially have 17 choices for supply for a single item, for a single requirement in a single building. There's 17 choices. And it's like, how as a player are you supposed to make sense of the difference between giving something like 13 supply or 14 supply? And so what I ended up doing was boiling, boiling it all down and making it sort of way easier. And essentially you can still see how much supply you get, but I sort of inverted it where what you care about now instead is like how many turns it will take. So things give way less supply now, and it's also sort of a lower fixed amount inside of a range. But so now it's like a player can reason about the difference between like three supply versus four supply if something only needs six supply versus being like, oh, something needs 80 supply and you're getting 23 supply and you've got to choose if you want to give it 19 supply or like 16 supply. And I was like, that's just that's like the finicky stuff that I feel like Paradox games get to a lot. Or even Mm -hmm. like I'm paying like, king of dragon pass right now and it's like i don't know i don't know the difference between giving someone seven cows and eight cows like what does that even mean i don't know how that affects the system um so i've tried to like excavate a lot of that stuff out of cantata like for better or worse right it might it might totally fail but the idea yeah is to provide like a direct mapping and not try to do the second screen as you call it design yeah i mean i think what you're talking about there is like kind of a fundamental game design thing of like um, not just having choices in games, but having choices that um, are designed sufficiently that the player, it's easy for the player to have a sense of what this uh, choice means, right? Or so like you're like, aware you're making a choice, right? Like some of these games yeah. hide the fact that what you're doing is a big choice. So you want to know like, oh, if I'm taking an action, I'm making a choice. Right. And and so like uh, this numbers thing, like I actually have this problem with bidding games a lot where like I can bid like 12 gold or I can build bid 13 gold or two gold like uh, and, and it's, you know, uh, a much better uh, like a very quick solution to that kind of thing is to chunk that out. So like you only have like, you know, let's say you have, I don't know, 15 gold, but you can only bid in like five chunks or something like that, you know, uh, right. so, so that like, like the resolution. Exactly. Yeah. It's too much resolution a lot of the time with those kinds of choices. Absolutely. Yeah. And so, so yeah, that's, I think that's just a process of like, you know, um, the difference between to me, like a, like a toy or a sandbox, which I think those paradox games, uh, as you alluded to, uh, I think are, they kind of are, I mean, they, a lot of them don't even have goals. Like they don't even necessarily have like a win state. Exactly. They're, they're just like, Hey, this is like, you know, ancient, uh, Europe or whatever, just like have a blast, you know, play, play around, see what happens. And uh, I think that's great, as you said. Like, I, I I love that. That's not what I'm interested in making. I'm interested in making systems that are, like, you know, uh, goal-oriented strategy game uh, and heavily designed. And, um, and, and in those kinds of games, yeah, like, I think you need to figure out those sort of solutions. Another thing that I'm interested in asking you about, um, partially because I'm, I'm working on a game, you know, uh, Gem Wizards Tactics uh, that's, that's dealing with some of the same issues is, like, what do you think about like scope in uh, and and length time time length like uh, and and so- map size and things like that? I tend to think that these kinds of games, tactical games, generally speaking, have either are too small and like cramped. Like I would say, Into the Breach to me feels much too small. Um, whereas, uh, and then there's some other games where 
uh you know like uh, uh, uh well a lot of older games in particular um but even like uh advance wars towards the later game can get really long and like really just like be this like long um uh you know uh just like a, a slog at a certain point and i wonder i mean civ and and a lot of these other games too like they just they're you know uh sid meyer said famously that no one finishes civ games and uh <laughs> and it's true i mean the first 100 turns in civ are pretty great actually i, I like it a lot and then it just falls off so hard and just collapses in on itself and so i wonder um what have you done or what are you thinking like how, what's the match length for cantata like the ideal sort of match length and like what are you thinking about in terms of scope and time and that sort of stuff yeah i mean there's a i think there's a there's a few things that you brought up i think one thing that i've been like um i'm thinking i'm thinking about especially and someone brought this up um so shout out to plugger if you're listening um he was one of the first testers of the game and he made this point about like I mean, I don't know if I totally agree with him that he thinks that Cantata is like sort of in a, a weird middle ground. But I think the takeaway that we sort of talked about was that games sort of scale with the size of their mechanics. So like Into the Breach works in part because of how its mechanics are. Um, and I think that Advance Wars works mostly like you're saying into the later games because of its mechanics. But you can't, you know, design a game that feels really compelling to play in a six by six grid and then just say like, well, wouldn't it be great to play that game in like a 200 by 200 grid? Because right. like, that's a that's a different game, right? Like, yeah. I don't know if even Final Fantasy Tactics works on like a 30 by 30 grid. It exactly. works because it's like a small game. So I think like, and then and there's other ways, there's like sort of more crass things too, where like, so for Cantata, like it, even before I say what Cantata is doing, like it's a game where you can move units on a map. And so if I wanted to make Cantata be a game that takes place on an eight by eight grid, I could reduce everyone's movement range to like one and then it sort of like works. But something like the supply thing doesn't really work at a small scale. And I think that's why you don't see kind of more robust supply mechanics in um, tactics games like at all is because you sort of have to have this sense of like presence and space on the map. And mm. yeah, I, I know you've talked too about tactics games as more like puzzle games. And Cantata is like not a puzzle game. It's like about map presence and map control, which is a thing that I think can happen in tactics games, but is not, it's like, it's like way fuzzier. Whereas yeah. Cantata is very much like, oh, you're holding the front line 30 tiles away from something else. And that's like meaningful. Um, so I guess I'll start with like, so one thing I'm doing in Cantata that I think is a pretty big, it's not an innovation because people have done systems like this before, but the way I'm doing it. Um, so Cantata uses an AP system where units moving, attacking, if you build something, um, all that costs AP. So you're actually limited by how many actions you can do on a given turn um, by how much AP you have and how much AP things cost is sort of flexible. And, and also is sort of factored in um, per faction. So like, the things that the alien faction can do cost fewer AP than what like the robot faction can do. And that's sort of to get at this, again, this idea of like faction differentiation instead of de like developing a new system like creep for the aliens or something. It's like, oh, well, they're more nimble. And the way that manifests is the fact that all the stuff they do costs fewer AP. So you feel like you can do more in a turn with them. Um, so what that also does is like, that means that like in the late game, 
it's not like like the issue that Civ has or like any of these grand strategy games is that in the late game, because you're not limited in any way by what you do on a given turn, theoretically you can move every single thing every single turn. Right. Um, and so this was th- this idea was sort of inspired by like playing board games like a few acres of snow, where like you're kind of dealing with this idea of your empire sort of getting larger and it becoming actually more unwieldy and simulating that. So mitigating that is that like as a player, as you're like attacking and destroying stuff and exploring more of a given map, your CO that you're playing as sort of abstractly as well as on the map is leveling up. And as you level up, you get more AP. So at the end of the game, you'll have more AP than you do to start to simulate this idea of you getting better at sort of fighting, but it's not like it's, you know, it's so much that you can do everything. Right. Um, So that's like one thing I'm doing. Um, The other thing is that in terms of like map size, I'm sort of like, I'm like less considering Cantata right now as a sort of like a skirmish generator like you might expect from StarCraft. I think that will definitely happen. Um, But I'm really more focusing on the single player stuff right now and getting at this idea of like, um maps and cantata more like rpg source books so like playing a cantata map should feel more like playing like curse of strahd um than like playing just a single puzzle it has to be solved so the maps themselves are pretty big so like big on the scale of like 100 or 200 or even bigger um like wide and then tall so it's like 10,000 tiles or something um but the idea it's not the idea is not that like you have to maintain a hold over all 10,000 tiles. It's like, oh, like you can go explore over here. Maybe you'll find a path around to like attack another unit. Like maybe this terrain over here is conducive to you building a smaller base or like it's more about sort of exploration in that way, which is a big goal of Cantata. Um, And each of those campaign maps I'm expecting would take like an hour to three hours to play. However, if someone wants to play like a straight up skirmish map in Cantata, you know, they can make a 500 by 500 map and then like, you know, do all the crazy terrain stuff. And even just using the basic mechanics, I think the design would scale to that size, like because of the supply ranges, because of the terrain benefit of the terrain stuff, as well as like movements being able to, or units being able to move around on the map. Like, I think it would work at that sort of scale. It just becomes a slightly different game. So I'm trying to strike like an hour to three hours for like a single player map. And then for the skirmish, it's kind of up in the air. Like, I don't really know what people will determine like competitive cantata is, or people even want to like build sort of more story driven scenarios. Yeah. I'm interested to hear. So this is uh, a single player and multiplayer game and that's still currently the plan. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, another big part of the game is that the game has been built from the ground up to be like totally mod friendly. Um, and a lot of the sort of concessions I'm making in design are in part due to the fact that I want to make the systems sort of abstract enough that players are able to mod them. So I don't want to like, I don't want to make like a faction have to use creep or something like you get with the Zerg because then all of a sudden any sort of derivative faction that comes from a mod has to use an idea of creep. Um, so, uh, so yeah, so, so that, 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 that said all of the modding tools or all of the actual map building stuff is actually built into the game. So you can build your own maps inside the game. And part of that is that if you want to just add a local hot seat player, you could just do that inside that mode. And then if you want to play online, you know, you just go 
you play a match online in a lobby, then you can add in a player um, to be one of those players that you put in the scenario editor. So yeah, it can be, it's primarily single player right now is what I'm focused on, but only specifically because in working on the single player campaigns, the scenario editor will get better. And then all of the modding community can benefit from that, whether or not they're making multiplayer maps or they're making other single player type stuff. So for multiplayer, um, do you picture that being played quote unquote real time? I don't mean as in real time, real time, continuous time, but I mean like in terms of like players are sitting there at their computers or would it be like more of an async kind of thing? Or what do you have in mind for that? I think I honestly don't know yet. And I think that a lot of that will come from testing with some people. So I've got, I've got some people that are testing the game right now. um, And I'm interested to sort of see what they think. Uh, I'm not like, the multiplayer is not like a massive marquee feature of the game right now. Gotcha. I think maybe like, you know, two expansions down the road, there'll be like a big thing about it where it's like really focused on, but I'm sort of allowing players themselves to determine how they want to do multiplayer. So you can, yeah, you can do it online. Um, I do have it working uh, in like internal builds where you can play with the player real time ish, like you're saying, um, async stuff i'm not so sure because that's not implemented yet it, it's also like the ap system makes async kind of weird so because it's like an ap system turns theoretically don't take a long time individually but the game can take a long time over the course of a whole game so like you don't turns want are pretty like, short yeah turns are pretty short so like it might actually make sense to do it real time Another thing I'm thinking about doing though is that having it where on when it's not your turn, you can basically queue up actions for things that you want to do. And then when mm-hmm. it becomes your turn, you just like press space bar or whatever, like execute all the things that you had queued. Yeah. That way you can kind of like, it almost feels like real time a little bit. Um, yeah. And the game will like tell you if a move you can do is no longer valid or whatever. That's but, cool. Um, I like that. Yeah. That's not in yet. That's, that's something no. I want to do. But yeah, that's that's definitely the idea is to make it so that when it's not your turn, you're not just like twiddling your thumbs. You're still like, sure. you know, planning your next turn. That's very cool. Um, so what's the goal of the game? Like, how do you win, actually? And how much have you, has that been a, an issue or a thing that you've been like sort of designing around? Uh, yeah, so there's two major victory conditions. I mean, there's one, so I guess there's there's two major ones and there's a third one I can talk about. Um, and the biggest thing is that it does sort of depend on the campaign map you're playing. And because, and the reason for that is because certain objectives that you have on the map, if completed, like give you a victory state. Um, otherwise though, there's like kind of two more standard victory conditions. One is like, you know, the generic, um, you know, kill all the other players, like main factories or whatever. Um, I'm not so worried about that. The other bigger one that I think will actually be sort of more the um, more like the standard in Cantata is this idea of a conquest victory. So like something like Battlefield or Company of Heroes, the map of Cantata um, for a skirmish or even a campaign is like split up into regions. And so you build, um, when you like build buildings in those different regions, you're able to capture those regions and they contribute some point amount to some like global point pool. And then once that number passes a certain threshold, like you win the game. Right. And so what that does is it basically incentivizes players to move across the map and sort of like, you know, it starts building actual, um, 
lines of battle between territory, between different players. Uh, but again, it's sort of like which victory condition is being used for a given campaign map is up to the campaign. And then for skirmishy type stuff, I imagine it's more dictated by like the options a player chooses. Like, do they want to play a domination game? Do they want to play a conquest game if the map supports regions? Um, or is there like an objective, like a like a move a unit to this tile to achieve victory sort of thing? Gotcha. Well, that's cool. Um yeah, I'm interested to see how the modding thing goes. Um, and uh, and now, real quick, um, before we wrap up, I do want to hear a little bit about like what's your your um, you mentioned that you're like you're kind of on the prowl for um, publishers. I, so now I I want yeah. to say say real quick about myself. Like I'm just an indie, and I've just been doing things all on my own on my own time and whatever. And but I, I'm inter- open to the idea of publishers. So I'm curious like about that like. I've done Kickstarter and things like that before, but um, I'm curious, like, what's the, how do people, how do people, if they want to find a publisher, how do they do that? And like, what's your process for that? And things like that. Yeah. I mean, it's been a, it's been a, it's, it's a journey. (laughs) It's like, it's not easy. Um, I think especially for, I mean, there's, there's like, I have this um I have this chart I built actually that uh is a totally ridiculous diagram that I I might like when this article goes up um I'll try to find the tweet or whatever you send it out and I'll try to attach this chart but like I think it's very hard to know when your game is able to be pitched to someone um I think like in terms of reaching out to people like uh honestly like cold emailing publishers through their you know their email addresses is pretty effective um otherwise like you know back in the before times like going to conferences and literally just going to publisher booths and saying like hey is there someone here in charge of publishing um that i can talk to and then you know bring a a, hopefully a build if you have one and then maybe a, a really nice pitch deck otherwise and then walking them through your game is like very effective um but the thing like something that's like hard is that and this is like a whole nother discussion but the, I would say like the, um, what's the word? Like the, the current thinking and like how games get popular and picked up by publishers or how you're supposed to make your game like look good for a publisher is like, doesn't work for strategy games. <laughs> so, yeah. Like it works really well if you're making like a fun, weird, like physics-y game and it's got like beautiful art and, you know, or like, right. you know, you build like you can pitch a game off like a character controller in a nice environment. Like mm-hmm. you look at games have been signed like that and strategy games just like, aren't like that. Like stuff like RimWorld, stuff like Factorio, stuff like Cantata, like it doesn't look good in gifts. It's not yeah. a thing that looks appealing. You've got to sort of like know um, why that game is what it is and why it will be successful. Um, which means that if you're pitching strategy, I found that it is like very hard because you have to find people who are inside of companies who understand the strategy games market and are willing to take a risk because the other thing is that strategy games are expensive to make. Yeah. Um, even I'm doing a 2d game, but like there's a lot of, even just for the content stuff um, for paying people for art assets, but then also like when I'm pitching, like I'm pitching on a development schedule that is like relatively small where a lot of the core mechanics of the game are already in, but like that stuff took me like three to four years of sort of working on the side to get in, like just yeah. to even have a functioning game because you're programming this really complex rule set. 
but like people don't want to see like your strategy game when it's, you know, gray boxed and you're like, well, listen, there's going to be supply lines mm -hmm. and terrain effects. And they're like, yeah, 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 whatever. Right. Um, people are interested in the stuff that sort of feels like it could sell at like a convention and like strategy games just aren't that. I mean, that's, yeah, that's been my, like, my life story so far is that, like, you know, uh, strategy games are are not good, like, market products, generally speaking, compared to a, a lot of other kinds of games, right? Like, puzzle-y kind of games, platform-y kind of games, even, like, RPGs, card games, like, there's all these kinds of games that, like, have have a certain, um, like you're saying, like a gif ability or, you know, um, th that, uh, that, you know, like actually it's kind of similar to like, um, I was thinking about this a few years ago, the idea of like, uh, let's, let's make a game that will go down well on like the show floor at like yeah. uh, PAX or something like that, right? Like, and that's a completely different value than I think like most strategy games you can't like if you you know cantata like I, I don't know that you could necessarily sh i mean you could show that at like a game show but it's like it, it, comparing that to like if it's some like four player shooter or something right like it's a, it's just a completely different uh animal that's not well, it's, it's funny because like those games that show well it shows also traditionally sell very poorly <laughs> like right like right. couch co-op games are not doing i mean they're maybe doing a little better now because of covid but like those games traditionally like stuff like gang beasts and fall guys are like the exceptions to the rule. Like there's millions of games out there that are like fun, wacky couch co-op stuff that like did really well at PAX and just like right. totally tank. And so what, what I've found too is like talking to publishers, there's always this weird thing that people tell me where they're like, listen, like I really like this game. Like we like, like I like strategy games, but like, you know, I'm not sure about the rest of the people. Like, we don't really know how to like work with this. So right. I think it's why you don't see a lot of people picking up strategy because people don't understand how to market that stuff. And I mean, one thing that I'm doing, and I think you're doing it a little bit as well with Jim Wizards is like part of the pitch of Cantata is like really forefronting all of the character art. So all the CEOs, like you see that, if you like look up Cantata on the internet, like you see the COs way before you start to see supply lines. Right. And so that's like sort of a concession for this idea of like, oh, like there's a way to pitch Cantata where it's like, I think even the Steam page right now says like character driven tactical strategy mm -hmm. where there's like, it's not so abstract that you just like, you're being pitched on just mechanics. It's like, oh, like there's this cool alien or there's this like this woman with this weird like lion thing. Like that looks cool. What's going on there? And so- right. I was like very conscious of like wanting to make a strategy game that was like able to be pitched to publishers and not just being like, Oh, I've got these cool mechanics and people like these mechanics because like even the most generous strategy games, people are like not, not necessarily going to pick that up. So it's been like, yeah, it's been like super hard to pitch strategy specifically um, because it doesn't feel like it's like everyone recognizes the value of it. And like, they see how big strategy games can be but no one wants to actually like take the jump. Well, it's, I think it's, uh, it reminds me of, uh, I, I did a podcast a while back talking about marketing and how like actually marketing and sort of theming, um, are kind of like 
are or should be seen as like the same thing like your setting and your the way that you present your game and everything like um you know it's really all about storytelling and the way that people understand things everything the way that like humans understand reality whatever they're doing whether it's playing a game or anything else is through some kind of like narrative right like through some kind of like yeah. who am i what am i doing here what am i trying to do like what is the you know all, what are the affects that are that are you know in play and um and so i think that it's just generally speaking a very smart idea and i also think that like strategy is um you know it's it's it, it may like it is the thing that drives me uh to i i want to make games so that i can make great strategy games and i right. and i think that you're saying a, a similar thing but it but it's like that's uh, i don't know how to how to put it exactly but it's like that can't be the main like drawing factor like that has to be like something that that sort of happens once you get there but that the things that draw people in get people in the door are always sort of more you know thematic or, or narrative or or even marketing and i think that there's not much of a distinction there really um so yeah because yeah. you're also you're you're like you're not just pitching to publishers too like even if you're making a strategy game and you're not trying to pitch to publishers you still have to pitch to players like i think pitch, like you have to pitch to like your best friend to get them to play your game do you know what i mean like yeah like you have I, to pitch I have to issues, literally like, everybody yeah and i think like there's a there's a there's a thought where you're like you're the special butterfly but like even amongst your closest friends like getting them to play your game is hard and unless they sort of have some sort of affinity towards the game for some reason it's going to be really hard to get them mm -hmm. and then like especially like i think that like the one exception to this is the games that like slytherin does where you know they put out any game like they put out shadow empire right and then someone sees that hex map and they see like all those little bars and stats and they're like i'm in you know but i think that if you're this is what makes indie strategy specifically hard because strategy is totally dominated by like um well, I guess the highest end of strategy is totally dominated by giant companies. Yeah. Uh, I think there's like, there's sort of a counter narrative to that with stuff like the simulation genre, like things like Factorio. Um, I mean, Coffee Stain did Goat Simulator before they did Satisfactory, but some of the more like simulation-y stuff, I think gets more indie, but like you look at people like Calypso or like Ubisoft or, I mean, Southern is kind of small, but like Civ and like Firaxis or XCOM, like, I think like people are more likely just to keep buying into Blizzard, right? <laughs> They're right. more likely to keep buying into sort of like known IP and developers. And so as an indie strategy person, like you're really trying to pitch people to say like, you know, why does, why does my like advanced wars ish game, why is that better than someone playing like fire emblem three houses? Yep. And that's like still, I think that's still the case if you're making like a first person shooter or whatever, but there's this like idea that like, I guess, I guess what I'm trying to say is that inside of like most genres, there's this sort of like, um, I don't want to say kiddie pool, but that sounds demeaning, but there's this idea of like, oh, it's an indie first person shooter and that's its own thing. It's like what, um, I just forgot their name, but the people who did like strafe and they're doing, uh, like dusk and all that stuff, like oh, it's indie first-person shooters and there's people who go there for indie stuff. Right. If you're making a strategy game, like you're not in the kiddie pool, you're making a strategy game that's competing with Civ and people are looking at your game and saying like, will I play this over Stellaris? Like, will I play this over CK2? Mm. Um, and there's just not as, not as much of a culture of like people who just play indie strategy stuff on its own right. Like 
they're playing um, in this, like they'll like close your game and open up Civ or they'll open up. Uh, I mean, CK three is coming out. Like I think like, and that's what's been hard too because you're when you're pitching people, it's like, well, you know, why won't people just play? this other game instead. And, but if you're pitching someone like a first person shooter, they're not going to be like, well, why would they not just play call of duty? And it's like, well, cause there's like a people play indie versions of first person shooters or puzzle platformers, or whatever else. But strategy weirdly feels like it's sort of like no holds barred. Like you're, you're in the arena with other people, especially if you're trying to pitch it. And especially if you're trying to raise money. So what you're saying is we have to start the indie strategy aesthetic, the indie strategy uh, <laughs> subgenre, basically. I mean, I think I think you're doing it. I think I'm trying to do it. Um, like I think there's other people. I mean, like Tenderfoot Tactics is like coming out. Stuff like Fate Tactics, which just came out at the there's gates. Like, John Schaefer at the gates. Yeah. Um, I mean, I'm really excited about. I mean, it's, I'm excited. Old World is really cool, although that's sort of like AAA. Uh, like, I think there's stuff that's happening, but I think it's still like the differential between how much money something like Old World makes versus how much money something like Civ 6 makes is just like, it's giant. Yeah. Um, so, th- and that's, I, we're going a little long here, but that's also part of the reason that I'm really leaning on like the modding stuff in Cantata. Cause I'm like, listen, like I can't compete with Civ. Like Cantata, Cantata's campaign cannot compete with Civ right now. But you know what can compete with Civ is that if someone makes like the best damn World War II tactical strategy game and that uses supply lines, they can mod that into Cantata or they can make the best like Lord of the Rings um, mod for Cantata or like, the best like, like where's like the best Star Wars E 4X game since Empire at War? And it's like, oh, someone can make a really compelling like Star Wars flavored mod for Cantata where you're like flying around X-Wings and like connecting supply lines between planets. And like, I'm like, I'd play that. Like I'd buy Cantata to play the cool Star Wars mod. So right. that's sort of what I'm banking on more so than like that the comp- the campaign of the game is like good enough to, you know, sell a million units or something. So that's Very sort cool. of the hope. Yeah. Nice. Well, um, I wish you luck, obviously. Um, like keep us thank posted. You. And um, thank you so much for coming on the show. Totally. Thanks for having me. Uh, anything else you want to plug real quick before we sign off? Uh, wishlist Cantata on Steam. Just go there, wishlist it, tell all your friends. Um, and yeah, that stuff that stuff really helps. Uh, anybody talking about it, make threads on Reddit about it. Um, yeah, that's, there's, there's links to all the social stuff there. I won't plug that. But just, yeah, find it on Steam. Um, add it to your wishlist. Oh, one thing. This is, this is, a, this is breaking news. Um, I think I got, I just got access to the playtesting, the new playtesting stuff on Steam. Um, so I might start facilitating playtesting through Steam. So just watch the Steam page for the next few days. Sweet. Awesome. Well, uh, probably a lot of people from the KB Games community will uh, check that out. Uh, yeah. Thanks again so much for coming on. And uh, I will talk to you. I'll see you around. Yeah, thanks for having me.